Hello and welcome back to another episode. Today I have Jiraya with me. Hey Jiraya, how are you doing? Hey man, doing real good. How are you? How have you been? I'm good, I'm good. I'm glad to have you on. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be on. Alright, so without further ado, like, could we jump right in into a bit of yourself? Like, what's your background and of course your crypto origin story? Yeah, sure. So, been in this space since around about 2016, 2017. Uh, mainly sort of operated in this space as a investor and a speculator. Uh, prior to crypto, I did a bit of day trading. So my background, well, I did a degree actually in biology. So I have a degree in biology, studied in London. And then whilst I was doing my degree, I actually learned how to day trade Forex, which is like foreign currencies, uh, which is like a $6 trillion market or rather $6 trillion of value gets transacted per day through that market. And then through that, um, you know, I kind of stumbled into crypto because one of my housemates that I was living in uh, back at university, he basically came back and he was really excited. And I was like, why are you so excited? And he said, I just doubled my money. And I'm like, what do you mean you just doubled your money? He was like, yeah, I bought this coin on Coinbase and it just like doubled. And I was like, okay, well, what did you buy? And what is Coinbase? And he told me it was something called Litecoin at the time. It was maybe around about 30, $20, $30. It just doubled because there was a lot of interest in it and in crypto back then. And, you know, I was like, okay, interesting. Sounds a bit like a Ponzi. I'm just going to stay away. <laughs> and this is me, yeah, this is me being ignorant, right? I didn't know anything about crypto. I didn't really hear much about Bitcoin back then. Um, I'm sure it was a thing amongst a certain niche audience, but, you know, as a university student, you know, and learning biology, you know, with a, in a classroom full of other biologists, it's, you know, Bitcoin is not something you talk about, right? Uh, so I ignored him. And then, you know, a few days later, he comes home and he's like, my God, my money just doubled again. And I'm like, okay, this is interesting. Like, how is this happening, right? So slowly but surely, I got a little bit more interested in it. And I ended up buying some Litecoin uh, as well as some Ethereum. And then, you know, obviously, as you probably know, you can see in the charts, it just skyrocketed. Um, and I made like maybe a two, three X wasn't like anything enormous, but you know, made a nice little return on it. And then, um, I also bought into ripple back during the hype, uh, when, when that skyrocketed and basically round trips, everything. So, uh, yeah, needless to say the beginning of my journey was extremely successful, <laughs> no sarcasm included. Um, but yeah, so fast forward till today, um, you know, mainly kind of operate in a space as like an influencer, a KOL, I guess. Um, and also, you know, co-founded a protocol and also co-founded a full stack web three agency as well. We service, um, you know, various different DeFi protocols out there. Nice. I mean, I'm not sure what's with the number of like people in, in science backgrounds doing in, in crypto. There's so many of you guys. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. I think this space does attract, um, a certain crowd of people. Um, I mean, I've been to like a few events this year for the first time and, you know, met some crypto bros in real life, including yourself, right? And generally speaking, out of the majority of people that I met, there is like a certain sort of philosophy or outlook on life. And that is how they kind of ended up in the space that they are they are in today, right? That's why they spend a lot of time here uh, because there's certain things about the space that, you know, aligns with their core values, their you know, their relationship with money, their relationship with work, the relationship with the world. So yeah, I think that might be a factor potentially. 
Yeah, totally. And like you mentioned earlier, right? Um, buying, uh, hearing about crypto and all when you were back in university and buying Litecoin. I think this was what year was this in there? Like twenty nineteen. Uh, around about twenty. Uh, about twenty seventeen, I think. Yeah. Well, no. Wait, let me have a think. No. Yeah, no. It'll be closer to twenty nineteen. Like, I need, I need to count back a few years. So in twenty twenty three, four. Uh, no, around. Yeah, yeah. Around around about 2016, 2017 was generally when I got involved in the space. Maybe it was 2018. I can't remember actually. I'm, uh, nice, yeah, nice. It's been a while. I didn't know like you were you were involved so early, man. Like I mean, we've met. You look pretty young, <laughs> so I didn't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was very young back then. I think I bought. I, I, I first heard about it and bought it maybe when I was like 19, 20 years old. So right now I'm 26. I'm um, going to 27 next year. Um, so yeah, definitely young, not old. I wouldn't consider myself old. <laughs> <laughs> All right, nice. Uh, and the next thing I want to talk about, right, is like, of course, I've seen your Twitter and you've been doing a lot of boom posting on Rune. So, so could we get you to share a little bit about your Rune thesis? Yeah, so um, very high-level uh, explanation of Rune or rather thought, so Rune is the tick up and ThorChain is the sort of project, right? Uh, it's basically, like, I'm not the most technical person, so, you know, for all of you Rune Maxis out there that might be listening and saying, oh, you know, you got this a little bit wrong, I don't care, right? I know the general gist of it and I have a thesis. <laughs> and if I got some very small technical element wrong, I'm sorry, right, if that offends you. Um, but very high level about Rune is, is that it's first and foremost an exchange, right? So you can think of it almost like Uniswap or Camelot or Trader Joe in that sense. Uh, what's different about it is, is that unlike you know these sort of exchanges that facilitates swaps um, and exchange of tokens between you know um, long tail assets, Rune only facilitates swaps between native layer ones. So what that basically means is that you can swap native Bitcoin for native Ethereum. Now, obviously, the reason why this is revolutionary, or it might not be so obvious to a lot of people, is that when you, you know, let's say you're on Ethereum, or let's say you're on Arbitrum or on Avalanche, and, you know, you swap some USDC or Wrapped Ethereum or whatever it may be into Bitcoin, right? You're, what you're holding is not actually being Bitcoin, right? It's the Wrapped derivative of Bitcoin, right? It's WBTC. So obviously with every sort of wrapped asset, right, it comes with a certain set of trust assumptions and it also comes with a certain level of risk. And, you know, assuming or rather if on the off chance, you know, a specific bridge was to be exploited, it would basically mean that, you know, you wouldn't be able to redeem the, you know, redeem your asset on the other side, right? Meaning that, you know, you could lose a lot of money, right? It's a sort of TLDR of kind of wrapped assets. And I think this has kind of been highlighted in the case over the last few years, you know, when uh, you know, wormhole got exploited, uh, when, you know, uh, multi-chain got ex- exploited and all these, you know, different bridges, Ronin bridge, I think got exploited as well, right? And if you look at like the number one loss of funds across like DeFi as a whole, a lot of it, a lot of it is obviously lost, you know, from like money markets because, you know, they found some sort of exploit, but the vast majority of it really comes from, you know, people hacking bridges, right, and siphoning a lot of funds out of that. So the reason why Rune is innovative in that sense is that, you know, it doesn't deal with, you know, wrapped assets. It deals strictly with the native assets on each chain, 
meaning that when you swap your Ethereum to Bitcoin, you are holding real Bitcoin. It's not a wrapped derivative of it, right? Um, so that's kind of the very high level of it. And uh, yeah, I mean, in terms of the bull thesis, I can definitely go on for quite some time. But if you guys take the time to kind of dive into their tokenomic uh, structure, you'll basically see that, you know, they have, a, they've built a security model that ensures that for every $1 of non-native asset that is added as an LP on the, you know, as a liquidity pool, right? Uh, around about 2 to $3 of room will be added in, alongside that to basically secure the underlying economic value um, that resides in the chain. So yeah, for $100 of rune that is added to the LP, $100 will be added towards the LP as well, obviously in a 50-50 uh, sort of split as with many sort of AMMs. And on top of that, another $100 uh, would be added to the, on, via the node operators to basically ensure economic security. So the reason why they have this sort of structure is to ensure that node operators would never be incentivized to collude to you know, siphon funds from the ecosystem because the value of the bond that they put up is greater than the dollar value of the asset that it secures. So if let's say, you know, there was a collude and they were to like steal, I don't know, a million dollars worth of Ethereum, they would be losing, you know, way like more than a million dollars from their own um, bond, uh, from their own or their personal portfolio, um, or, the, or the value of their position, let's say. So, you know, because it's a negative DB move, you know, this does discourage um, collusion. Uh, but the, really, the main bull thesis of it is, is that, you know, there is a flywheel that they have created that is built around LPs, volume, and obviously this kind of economic structure that I just described above. So because of this sort of model, there is a deterministic flaw that is created when it comes to room pricing, um, which is basically its market cap is always going to be three times its TVL, right? Giving room a deterministic uh, floor pricing, right? So assuming that, you know, no one removes funds from the LP, right? There is going to be a certain uh, price floor that room will definitely hold based on, you know, a certain set of economic factors, right? Um, and unlike, you know, many sort of tokenomic models out there, you know, it doesn't really sort of create, like there is no, at least to my understanding, there are very few tokenomic models that can ensure and guarantee this price floor as like a hard floor, right? Um, so that's something that's pretty interesting about it. And, you know, the most important thing is, is that it really kind of scales with TVL, right? So imagine if it ca if one day it captures, let's say, 0.5% of the total total circulating supply of Bitcoin and maybe 0.5% of the total circulating supply of Ethereum as, you know, uh, and capture it as like LPs in the pool, right? The price of Rune would definitely skyrocket. Um, and it's, it wouldn't be based on speculation alone. It would be based on basically cold hard math, right? Um, so I think that's a pretty interesting um, model all in all. Um, and, you know, as an investor that allows you to build that sort of set of trust assumptions into your thesis and therefore it can limit the, you know, your, the sort of exposure and loss that you could potentially incur in your portfolio on any sort of you know, volatile swing to the downside. Um, so yeah, there's a very, there's a lot more reasons than that, but I think that's a high level and uh, yeah. My follow-up question would then be, since you mentioned if um, the Tor chain ecosystem kind of scales up and captures more market share, it, it will greatly benefit it, right? And how do you see it um, scaling up and capturing more of that market share? 
Yeah. So right now, um, the way that I see Rune is that it's not, it's basically trying to compete with centralized exchanges, right? Um, because on some swaps lately, I, I, I don't know the exact depth of all of the pools, but there are some like Bitcoin, Ethereum, USDC swaps, right? And you can basically, there's a Telegram bot that shows you like the estimated savings versus trade, trading that same route via a centralized exchange. Um, so it's pretty interesting, right? There's chain, there's an on-chain exchange that allows you to do, you know, conduct the same sort of exchange that you would be able to conduct on a centralized exchange, but on-chain in a permissionless way with having full custody of your funds at all times and, you know, saving money, you know, during that process. I think that in itself is pretty innovative. Um, and number two, they are trying to capture more of the market share by actually, instead of, you know, pumping loads of money into like influencer marketing or pumping money into, you know, press releases and all of this, you know, stuff that a lot of protocols do, right? Uh, these guys are more focused on the B2B route. So they are pumping money into business development, right? They're basically saying to people, look, if you can connect us and get us integrated into, you know, various different wallets, we will basically pay you a sum of, you know, $20,000 or $100,000 or whatever it may be, right? And I think that's a much more effective way to go around it because ThorChain in itself is actually, uh, it's like a faceless protocol. All it is is basically a backend, right? And, you know, all these different wallets like Trust Wallet, like Ledger, uh, Metamask, Shapeshift, uh, ThorSwap, all of these, you know, wallets and exchange or like uh, sort of front ends, they are basically, you know, yeah, they basically act as the one of many front ends for ThorChain. Which I think is pretty, which I think is pretty interesting as well, because the way that I see the future when it comes to like the next wave of you know normal people on the crypto, I don't think they're gonna go from centralized exchange to a decentralized self-custodial wallet, and then understand that okay, I need to go to Uniswap to make this swap for Ethereum. I need to go to, I don't know, like Trader Joe if I want to swap something on Avalanche. I need to go to Camelot if I want to swap something on Arbitrum. I, th I personally think that is all going to be abstracted away. And I believe that most people that get onboarded to the wallet, they're going to see the swap function, like the swap button, right, built into the wallet. And they're going to click, you know, whatever asset that they have. And they're going to click, you know, whatever asset it is that they want. And they will just hit, you know, approve and swap and all of that. And you know that's all it, there is. That's all there is to it, right? And obviously, in a backend, it would route it through these sexes. But you know, I don't think um, it's going to be you know um, people remembering you know names of decentralized exchanges for like every single uh, different you know blockchain out there. Uh, I think a lot of this is going to be abstracted away you know through wallets. And you know, Thorchain is has been you know shipping pretty hard. They've been integrated with Ledger. They've been integrated with Trust Wallet, uh, MetaMask, via Shapeshift. Uh, a lot of different wallets out there. And um, yeah, I mean, you know, it makes sense, right, for these wallets to do it because they can basically facilitate the same swaps but at a much cheaper rate due to an innovation that Thorchain made called streaming swaps, which is basically breaking up a large transaction and. Uh, breaking it down so that this transaction takes place over various different blocks. So although it wouldn't be instantaneous, like imagine you go to you know Camelot or you go to I don't know some sort of Dex on Arbitrum, right? And you make a swap on Arbitrum, it's pretty much instantaneous, right? You you put in your Ethereum, it spits out the USDC in like a split second. Now, if you were to do a much larger transaction, right, one that is let's say you know a ten million dollar transaction against a twelve million dollar pool you're going to get a lot of slippage trying to transact that 
you know, on any of these exchanges on Arbitrum, Ethereum, whatever it may be. But with the streaming swap innovation that ThorChain has made, they've basically broken, they basically break that transaction down over several different blocks. So it takes place maybe over an hour, maybe takes place over 30 minutes. It depends on the size of the transaction relative to the pool size. Uh, but what they can achieve is five uh, bits of price of, of spread, which is basically like what 0.05% um, spread on transactions, on large transactions, mind you. And the coolest thing, right, and I have to tell you this news because like, you need to buy Thorchain after this, but I'm telling you, they managed to <laughs> facilitate a $6 million swap on a $5 million pool. What? Think about that for a second. A si yeah, right. What? Is the, is the question, right? How can you facilitate a $6 million swap in a pool that is actually smaller than the, than the, than the size of the transaction without facing insane levels of slippage? They managed to execute that, I think, don't quote me on this, but I think is around about 0.5% slippage, which isn't the tightest, but, you know, it's better than 100%, right? I mean, if you try to, you know, ape any sort of shitcoin or 50K liquidity and you try to buy you know, 60K worth of it, you're going to face a lot of slippage, right? Um, so 0.5% is you know, obviously a much better price to pay. Um, but yeah, through this innovation, that is what they managed to um, facilitate. And obviously the sort of you know, minor setback here is, is that you know, in order to get this amazing price execution, it does require the user to you know, wait a bit of time, right? It might take, you know, they might have to wait 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And obviously people want things in crypto and they want it now, right? <laughs> so the next innovation that they're going to yeah. make is called, uh, I think it's called like uh, streaming blocks or rapid blocks. Uh, uh, don't point me on a name, uh, but the TLDR of it is that they will basically be able to facilitate these very, very low slippage, um, low spread executions, right? But in a single block. So it would, it would, it would basically be as fast or as seamless as transacting on any DEX, but you would be able to handle way more size on, on a smaller liquidity pool. Um, so it's because of all of these things that have been taking place, which is why ThorChain has, you know, I think uh, facilitated $8 billion of, of swaps in volume over the month of uh, November, putting them, I think, third on the map, just ahead of um, Curve, which ironically, you know, trades, I think, I'm not sure if it trades at a higher valuation, but I know the TVL in Curve is around about 10 times higher than the TVL on ThorChain, yet they managed to facilitate, you know, more volume. So you can imagine that the LPs are just like, you know, going nuts right now. Uh, my LP position is, yeah, it's, it's earning around about 200, 250% APR on that position. So pretty happy with it. I think I put in like a 50K LP and it's, uh, it, it was spat out around about 5K in rewards over this last month. So pretty insane. Wow, nice. And you're like hyping me up already, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, all I can say is, uh, yeah, don't trust me, my word for it. You know, go and do your research, see if it fits your risk profile. It has you know, pumped up a little bit now. Um, but in my opinion, it's one of the few coins that has the potential to go from where it is right now to another 50x conservatively. Um, because again, it's one of the few protocols out there that actually scales alongside the growth of, you know, the price of the price appreciation of like Bitcoin, of Ethereum, of all of these, you know, assets, right? Because, you know, um, if let's say Bitcoin doubles in value, right, the, the transactional volume that is taking place through Thorchain would now be double in terms of like dollars, right? Therefore, you know, the LPs would be like 
eating a lot heavier, right? They'll be, they'll be feasting a lot more, let's say. Um, and that would naturally draw in more people to take an interest to, you know, buying up room and providing LP. And, you know, every LP essentially, you know, creates some sort of buy pressure on the room side as well. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of cool things. Uh, I'm probably, you know, not the best person to explain it to someone who's hearing about this for the first time. But, hey, man, it's my first time. I'm doing my best. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just for some context, the uh, I just checked right. So the the price of the rune token right now is somewhere in the six dollar range, right? Just in case, uh, I don't know what's gonna happen in in this period. By the time the episode comes out, it could be a totally different number. So just keep that in mind. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, it could be zero. <laughs> yeah, it could be zero, guys. It could be zero. You know, and uh, this is why it's not financial advice. But no, yeah, or it could be like ten dollars by the time this comes out. I don't know. Yeah, it's true. It's actually funny because I found out about uh, Thorchain through reading one of the Mazari reports, you know, uh, Mazari mm-hmm. Crypto, right? Um, they released like an annual report and it basically showed like some of the top wallets. And basically, if you look at all of that, like all of these you know, sort of smart wallets or these wallets that they analyze, all of them have like at least a 10% allocation or 8 to 10% allocation in their portfolio view which really kind of got me interested. I was like, wait, why is everyone holding? Okay, I can understand why people are holding Bitcoin, why people are holding Ethereum, but why are they holding Rune? And what is Rune? Right? So that's kind of how I learned about it through Mazari. Right, awesome. And, and of course, um, I see that you're a huge supporter of the Avalanche ecosystem as well. Um, what, what's your take on it, man? Like, I know like right now, all, all eyes are on Solana. Um, I mean, of course, Avalanche has... It's gotten some some traction as well, right? Recently, but what's your take on it? Um, I think the chain itself has some pretty strong narratives going for it. Obviously, it's kind of centered around uh, two things right now. Number one, you know, the tokenization of real world assets, which I believe is a huge market to capitalize mm-hmm. on, and the second one being gaming. Um, honestly, I haven't played all of the games, but I've seen some clips of gameplay, but like on Shrapnel, for example. And, you know, it really kind of like, you know, depends on how well they market it and position it and kind of go to market with it with the greater uh, gaming audience that resides out there. But, you know, the world has a lot of gamers. The world, you know, has a lot of, you know, assets that are off chain that can be tokenized. So, you know, if they can bring, if they can realize their vision and bring a portion of that on chain, even if it's like 1%, you know, we're talking about a lot of growth here. So personally, um, I'm excited about it. Uh, would I say it's the best price to buy it now? Honestly, I have no idea. Like, if it was me, I would, you know, probably consider it a part of my portfolio, and um, yeah, I would just, you know, kind of uh, DCA into it. Let's say upwards or downwards. Right, but like, besides, um, how should I put this? Like, any particular projects that you're looking at, in particular? um yeah i mean there are definitely a few i mean there's quite a few innovative projects that are going to be launching there uh one of them is called lever is l-e-v-r uh my agency that i founded is actually helping with uh, some of the ux ui on that front um as well as the light paper uh but the tldr of it without kind of you know, giving too much away is that it's basically going to be a leveraged sports betting platform that leverages a similar mechanic to uh, GMX, but for sports bets, uh, which I think is going to be pretty interesting. It's something innovative that the space hasn't seen before yet. And again, just like with real world asset tokenization and you know gaming, there is a there's a huge market when it comes to you know, sports betting out there. So 
if you can capture a percentage of that um, and offer leverage on top, I think it's a degenerate uh, haven, I'd say. So I think that's a pretty interesting project. Um, and yeah, there are definitely a lot of other cool stuff, such as like Struct Finance, for example, uh, which is kind of bringing structured products on chain, mm -hmm. uh, which, you know, traditionally um, normal people, like, you know, normal people being, you know, like kind of you and I, right, that are just sort of retail fish, we wouldn't have access to these sort of structured products, um, you know, in day-to-day -day life, right? Like you can't go up to a bank and access something like this or go up to a broker and access something like this. Uh, so I think what they're doing there is pretty cool as well. Um, they've got integrations there with GMX and also with Trader Joe, their auto pools. Um, so yeah, definitely some interesting things cooking up there and may, there may or may not be an airdrop and there may or may not be a host. And yeah. Um, yeah, I think those two are pretty interesting. What else? Um, what else is interesting in this space? Mm, I would definitely say that. Hmm, I don't think. I definitely say that what VNX is doing is also pretty interesting. So uh, VNX is basically bringing a tokenized uh, version, or or they rather they're tokenizing the Swiss franc and they're tokenizing the euro, so that they it's kind of like basically like USDC, right? So you obviously have USDC, which is like sort of a you like tokenized US dollar. Um, they're also doing the same for the Swiss franc for the euro as well as gold. Uh, which I think um, would definitely be very, very interesting as well, especially if, you know, you're a foreign exchange trader and, you know, you have some belief that over the long term, you know, the value of the euro, the value of, you know, the Swiss franc might outperform the dollar. It's a way for you to kind of, um, yeah, kind of get exposed to that for on-chain, basically, because until, until now, I believe, you know, you can pretty much only get exposure to USDC or US dollar on-chain, so... Nice, like super interesting. I mean, I think I do think there's a lot going on in Apex right now. Like, uh, especially with the the recent craze around Solana, I've been thinking, where would the next rotation be when it happens or if it happens, right? So yeah, I think Avalanche yeah. definitely has, has some things for us to look into as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's actually another one now that you, now that I remember. Um, INX, uh, that's uh, Indigo November X-Ray, INX. Uh, they recently went live, I think, like literally two days ago. And they basically allow you to kind of get exposure to like stocks like SpaceX, Microsoft. I'm not sure Microsoft, but I know that SpaceX, Tesla, are things that you can get access to um, and exposure to on-chain as well. So what they've got cooking up there is also pretty cool. Um, and obviously, you know, they had the recent announcements with the collaboration with JP Morgan's and Onyx mm -hmm. and the, the and the Singaporean like authority for like money. <laughs> Probably named it wrong, but in mass, right? Um, yeah, MAS. And they also got some pretty yeah, MAS, right? Um, and yeah, in a couple of weeks' time, they got some pretty big announcements coming out as well. So, all in all, very excited for the future of it. And um, yeah, I definitely think. You know, it'll be one of the layer ones that definitely will thrive in into the future. Yeah, man. Can't wait for, like, personally, can't wait for Avalanche to catch up with Solana. It's like the Solana, yeah. Solana Luna, Avex all again, but I, I don't know if Luna's going to be involved this time around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is the thing, you know, like, you bring up a, you bring up a very um, interesting uh, point here, right, is that, 
you know, you as an individual, you're excited about Solana, you're excited about you know, Ethereum, I guess, right? About um, about Avalanche, about Polygon, maybe, um, about all these different sort of layer ones, right? And you know, just kind of circling back to the whole Rune thesis here is that when you're betting on Rune, what you're really sort of betting on is not the success of a single chain or a single ecosystem, rather you're betting on the success of, you know, a multi-chain future, right? Where there's, mm -hmm. you know, several different layer ones that, you know, you know, exist for, you know, various different reasons, right? Um, so I think that also kind of ties into the overall Rune thesis. Like, I do believe that all these layer ones will continue to thrive and you know, innov innovations will continue to take place and that is also why um yeah, i think room will exist um and thrive along sorry i think you got cut off there ah oh yeah and i was just saying that um you know i because you believe like because you probably have belief that all of these other layer ones like polygon solana avalanche that these will all thrive um in that sort of future right um, that is also one of the reasons as to why I believe Rune will thrive as well. As long as people, as long as various layer ones exist, there will be people that want to transact value and make these swaps across these different layers and not want to, you know, expose themselves to, you know, the risk that comes with wrapped assets, uh, which kind of ties into the overall thesis as well. And betting on a multi-chain future, essentially. Yeah, nice. Super excited. I'm going to see how it goes on. Uh... But yeah, and now actually I want to understand a bit more about yourself. So like, since you mentioned earlier that you were doing the LPs on, on Torchain, right? Like, are you more of a farmer yourself or, or like you used to do Forex trading? So like, do you still trade actively or, or like what's your style, man? Yeah, so I trade actively, Um, just more like most of my sort of day trading is centered around the foreign exchange market. So I predominantly trade euro dollar and pound dollar, to be honest with you. Uh, when it comes to like on-chain trading, I mean, I wouldn't call myself a trader in a sense. Like, you know, I have spot holdings. I buy them and I hold them and I sell them, right? Uh, does that constitute as a trader? Well, it depends on how you define it, I guess, right? Uh, I, I personally classify that style more closer to sort of long-term investing, right? But, you know, it depends on how you want to classify it. You can classify it as like a position-based trader as well if you want to. Um, so yeah, my style is more sort of buying, holding, accumulating, and uh, potentially, you know, leveraging up as well, but not via like a centralized exchange or not via a pub dex per se, but via like a money market. So let's say, for example, you know, I want to get exposure to, um, or let's say, let, let's say I want to short something actually, all right? A lot of people, when it comes to shorting, right, they would think about, okay, I would go to KuCoin, I'll go to Binance and open up a short position. Or if they're like on-chain DGENs, they might go to GMX or Mux Protocol and open up a short position, right? But there's actually an, another way of shorting and that is by leveraging money markets. So what you can do is you can actually supply USDC, you can borrow Ethereum, and then with that borrowed Ethereum, you basically sell it back into USDC and then you can resupply that as collateral. Now, because with traditional money markets, the 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 debt is denominated in the car, in the sort of token that you borrow right in this case you're borrowing ethereum if let's say ethereum you borrow ethereum and it's at two thousand dollars you sell it to usdc that's two thousand dollars that you resupply as collateral assuming that ethereum drops from two thousand down to let's say you know capo level predictions of one thousand dollars or whatever right you now you now have to pay back 
one Ethereum, but that one Ethereum that you have to pay back is actually, you know, worth $1,000, right? So the net gain you would have made is actually plus $1,000 for borrowing Ethereum, which I think, you know, is, I mean, it's pretty simple, but, um, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's an easy way to kind of short something without having to pay extortionate fees, um, in my opinion. Um, yeah, um, yeah, maybe just have to take note, maybe just have to take note of the um, borrowing and lending rates as well, but, but generally the strategy is there, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, with respect to where to find like good borrowing or uh, borrowing and lending rates, uh, you can always go to like DeFi Llama, you can put in like what you want to lend, what you want to borrow, and then it'll basically spit out all of the different APRs and APYs of borrowing and lending on various different platforms. And if you type, if you, you know, if you're lucky, let's say, uh, or, if, you know, that platform has incentives, like with Avalanche, there was incentives uh, around Aave for a period of time you can actually get paid to hold that short position, which is pretty cool in my opinion. Yeah, awesome. I mean, thanks for sharing that strategy, man. You're welcome. Now, don't take all my liquidity, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> all right. You mentioned that you're kind of a trader, but I mean, more of a Forex, right? And of course, you've been in this market for quite a few years now. What's your take on the, the markets in general for the next, the next uh, coming year? Yeah, that's a good question. So when it comes to like day trading, right? Um, as a day trader, you're very sort of more short-term orientated. It's more about your beliefs about price appreciation or depreciation on any given day, as opposed to any given quarter or every given year. Um, but I can give you, you know, I'll be able to give you a much more accurate level of um, analysis when it comes to Forex. Uh, I'll do my best for, for, for crypto. Um, I think, Generally, we are in a pretty good position, right? And by that, what I mean is that this bear market, I mean, I don't know if you classify it as a bear market now or a bull market, whatever it is, right? But in this kind of current market, or even in the bear market that preceded this, right, but, you know, from you know, six, 12 months ago, um, it's, it was a very sort of different situation fundamentally from like the last bear market, because during the last bear market, like DeFi wasn't a thing, right? Like it was really just a case of buying and holding, like staking wasn't even a thing back then, right? Um, it only came about, you know, a little bit later on. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's a lot more innovation going on. There's a lot more activity going on. There's a lot of builders that are building genuine things that can add value to, you know, the financial world that we, you know, live and operate and thrive in today, right? So because of this, although I can't, you know, see the like how positive or how negative the impact will be over the next year or over the next quarter, uh, what I do believe is that, you know, there is a lot of value that is being, you know, created through these applications on chain that replaces, you know, a lot of financial products that do exist in the ecosystem, uh, like the financial ecosystem that, you know, in Web2, I'd say, right? Um, so for this reason, um, assuming that, you know, regulations and, and stuff you know doesn't completely you know, hammer down on you know DeFi protocols and decentralization and you know completely kind of regulate that side of things assuming that there is still that sort of sovereignty um that you know it's likely that we're gonna have a, a have a positive future so personally i'm bullish in the market uh, but at the same time you know i do have stables allocated on the side and um, yeah, I am ready to deploy if, you know, we get another dip lower, even below, you know, the local lows uh, that were made last year, so. Nice. Are you able to share like 
a percentage a number um of your stables right now uh 10 percent stables <laughs> i mean that, that's fair stables. right so do you, yeah, that, yeah I'd say that's fair. do you like usually hold i mean since you mentioned you plan to um deploy it if it goes down lower like do you usually have a certain percentage of stables to be holding um, most of the time yeah generally generally um so yeah i generally keep around about 10 percent of like the overall portfolio in stables uh just to obviously have that dry powder and you know there are there's a lot more deal flow going around the ecosystem right now. So there's a lot of like seed opportunities, private round opportunities. Uh, recently, I, I participated in the current uh, seed round. Um, this was led by you know, much larger players than myself. It was led by like the founder of Polygon, uh, mm -hmm. the, the guys from Offchain Labs, uh, from Redacted Cartel, from Frax, Alchemix, um, you know, a lot of these sort of bigger players. Uh, fortunately, I had an allocation and, you know, it was fortunate also that I had, you know, stables right on the side as dry powder to deploy into such an opportunity when it came around. So yeah, I would personally always keep some at hand, uh, even if, you know, we're in a full on full blown bull market, right? Like always have some at hand just so, you know, you can be agile because crypto is a very dynamic environment, right? Like mm -hmm. imagine you go on a holiday over the weekend and then, you know, the whole landscape changes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for you, I, I don't know you. You travel everywhere with like your, your your keys and all, right? But maybe for some people, imagine you're on a holiday and then the whole thing crashes, the like FTX did that time, and and then you have no access. What are you gonna do, man? Yeah, yeah, that's true, you know, and that's all. That's always a risk, but you know that's why, right? You just gotta remember your seed phrase. Right? You gotta remember <laughs> your seed phrase. Keep a spare ledger at hand. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, going back to the point, right? You mentioned that I'm traveling around. Um, obviously, I travel around with you know my 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 hard wallets, uh, but I also have like a backup hard wallet in case you know I lose it, in case I don't know I lose it like on some boat accident or whatever it is, right? Um, I always have like a spare one to basically um, recover the, the 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 funds. So, mm -hmm. no, actually, I wanted to cover a little bit on curvens, right? Since you mentioned it, maybe for for those who are not as familiar with it, do you want to go a little bit into what it is about? Uh, a very sort of high level uh, explanation is that they're an omni-chain CDP protocol. Um, what they, I mean, what I'm going to explain now is not limited, is not like, you know, everything, it's not going to cover like every aspect of what they do. It's just going to be one aspect, right? So if you look at like the LPs on Curve, the LPs on Velodrome, the LPs on Balancer, all of these, you know, big DEXs, right? Um, oftentimes, you know, the sort of main way in which you accrue value is obviously through emissions and through the fees generated from swaps, right, from, from farming itself. Um, so what Curvance will enable you to do is, is that it will allow you to basically take a line of credit or collateralize these LP positions and take a loan out against it. Um, and obviously that opens up you know, increases capital efficiency, opens up some capital for you to redeploy into other things that, you know, you, you, you want to deploy into, right, uh, without having to, you know, break apart your LP position whilst enabling it to accrue fees and whatnot. Um, and one thing in particular, um, again, uh, if I'm not, you know, 100% accurate in this, you know, I do apologize, but 
uh, from my understanding is that you know when you want to execute let's say uh, a, a vote like you want to execute a vote right like a vote transaction on ethereum let's say you hold some ve curve and you want to vote for a specific gauge it's going to cost you what i believe is on the arm and a leg it's going to cost you like 20 50 dollars depending on gas gas prices at the time to make that sort of transaction to to to, to execute that queue that quarter that call transaction uh but what curvance will allow you to do is, is that it will allow you to actually like again not 100 of it is technically correct but it will basically allow you to uh call the transaction via like arbitrum and through like the wormhole messaging side of things um to basically like vote on ethereum but paying the prices on arbitrum if that kind of makes sense um there's definitely a better and more elegant way to word it uh, and I'm sure Michael and Mai, who are the co-founders of Curvance, uh, will be able to explain it a bit better. Uh, but that's sort of the TLDR. And um, yeah, they're tapping into a lot of different verticals as well. They're tapping into the whole LSD narrative. Um, they've got very stacked partnerships with like, uh, you know, Pendle as well, with Realidrum, with Marx Protocol, um, Scroll, ZK Sync, uh, Polygon, like you know, a bunch of layer ones, a bunch of layer twos. Um, so yeah, the, 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 in terms of like the cap table, in my opinion, out of all of the recent protocols that I've raised, uh, they they are by far the most uh, stacked in terms of partnerships and um, you know, strategic investors. So for that reason, very very excited for the future there. Nice, awesome. And now, like, I kind of want to know a little bit more about yourself. Um, could you run us through a day in the life of Jiraya? Yeah. Wow, that's uh, that's such a good question, but such a hard question. So uh, to give some Why context, I <laughs> so to give some context, I'm basically traveling, right? And uh, I'm not traveling for like one or two months in Asia. I've been traveling for about just under two years. So I've been on the move from country to country. Uh, spent three months in Thailand, three months in Malaysia, three months in Singapore, and. Indonesia, Japan, Taiwan, Vietnam, like a load of different countries, right? And whilst I'm in these countries, I'm also moving around different cities. So a day is usually very sporadic. There's a lot of different things going on. I'm either you know, on a boat, in a car, in a van, on a plane. Like I'm, I'm usually moving around somewhere, right? And whilst I'm in that city, there's a lot of things to be doing, right? Places to see, uh, people to be with, I guess, right? So, you know, obviously, you know, factoring this into my trading life is already you know, one aspect that is quite difficult. Uh, but when you add on top, you know, being kind of full-time in Web3, building an agency, servicing, you know, various different protocols, servicing Avalanche, Curvance, you know, all of these different protocols, it is quite a lot, right? So my day is quite sporadic with the TLDR. Um, a general structure would be like waking up probably around about 10 or 11. So I wake quite late in the day, but I also work quite weird hours as well. So I'd wake up, I'd usually ideally go to the gym. Um, yeah, go to the gym for like an hour, two hours, but, but uh, closer to an hour, okay, closer to an hour. Um, and then I'll come back, have back-to-back -back meetings usually, either calls of clients or calls with potential clients, uh, calls with the team. Um, and then, you know, that can obviously lead into, you know, a lot of like Discord communication, Telegram chats. Yeah, so my Discord and my Telegram is a mess. If I don't pay attention to it for like, let's say three hours or even two hours, I have like 20, 30, 40 unread inboxes from like various different people. Uh, because, you know, as I said, I run an agency and it's a pretty big operation. 
Uh, we have a division dedicated towards development, which is like front end, back end, smart contract engineering. Uh, the team dedicated towards like content, which is like, you know, uh, tweets, threads, medium articles that we write for protocols. Uh, you know, myself personally, I'm on like the marketing side of things. So it's like influencer marketing, uh, new side of marketing, uh, press releases. So working with people from like Cointelegraph, uh, CoinMarketCap, uh, you know, Defiant, Binance, all of these different parties. And on top of that, we also have a design division, right? So, you know, there's a lot of different departments to be coordinating between for every client. There's a lot of different clients that have different needs, uh, a lot of different group chats. So, you know, a lot of the time is really sort of spent coordinating with these guys to make sure everything, you know, works as intended and that the service that we deliver is always of the highest quality because customer satisfaction is really our number one priority. Uh, I know it sounds very cliche, but, you know, for us, we would always, you know, prioritize, you know, one smaller client being really, really happy than trying to you know, make a ton of money by you know, going after 10 clients, for example. Uh, that's you know, just our modus, uh, like a way of operating. Um, so yeah, so that usually takes up the majority of the day. I usually have lunch around about four, five o'clock, which is also wow. the first meal of my day. Yeah, the first meal of my day. And then after that, I go back to working for a few hours. Um, I might train New York session because in Asia, New York is around about six o'clock to nine o'clock PM um, here in Thailand time anyway. Uh, so there'll be some trading, some calls back, some some calls that I have to take. And then yeah, my day usually wraps up around about ten, eleven o'clock where I have dinner. Um, and then I just kind of chill for like the last two hours, and then you know it's kind of rinse and repeat from there. Um, but obviously. You know, factor in, um, you know, whilst I'm on the move, I will be, you know, definitely spending a lot of the time, um, you know, visiting places, going, you know, going scuba diving, going snorkeling, um, you know, going to see elephants, you know, temples, castles, whatever. Um, and uh, yeah, d during these times, I try to like limit my calendar so that people can only schedule meetings during certain hours. That way, I have a lot more predictive in my day. So I can kind of fit everything in whilst, you know, having fun and, you know, ensuring that we're delivering, you know, uh, high quality services to people at a timely, in a timely manner without having people to wait and stuff like that. Nice. Actually, just a curious question. Like since you are moving from different countries and, and you're staying multiple months at a time, do you usually book like an Airbnb for, for the whole period or how, how do you guys settle accommodation? Yeah. Yeah. So we actually like, found a really nice location in Chiang Mai. So Chiang Mai is a city um, in the north of Thailand. It's a place where you know, I usually spend maybe three months at a time. And you know, during that time period, it, there would be very little traveling. It's literally maybe just on weekends, we might fly out somewhere, but predominantly like you know, the three months would be spent there just doing concentrated work, um, really sort of trying to scale or you know, scale my trading to you know, get to the next level, let's say. Um, so for that specific place, we would book three months at a time. And it's actually quite cheap. Like the place that we got is really, really nice. Got like a hundred meter long swimming pool, private gym, cleaning, everything. And it's around about $350 a month. So really, really affordable, you know, especially, you know, if you're coming from you know, the States or you become like me coming from the UK, where the cost of living rent is, you know, maybe like a thousand pounds, maybe a thousand five hundred, depending on where you live, right? Like scaling that all the way down to $350 whilst having, you know, much more amenities in the form of like a swimming pool, cleaning, etc., is honestly a huge plus. 
Um, and you know, just knowing that you know you're spending less, but you're also having you know like all your food cooked. Like you don't have to you don't have to spend time you know thinking you know what should I cook or you know should I should I wash my clothes today or should I you know clean my house today? Like all of that is basically taken care of so that you can spend the hours of your day being as productive as possible instead of doing what I personally consider more sort of trivial things, right? But Mm-hmm. For some people, you know, it's a passion, right? Some people enjoy cooking. So, you know, if you you're if you're a chef and you enjoy cooking, you know, obviously it's not trivial for you. It's your passion. So, highly respect that. But for me, I just don't enjoy cooking. I don't think it's a productive use of my time. Hence, why I classify it as trivial for me. All right, got it. And I mean, since since you have a really rich experience here, right? What is one piece of advice you would give your younger self? Like, I mean, you started pretty early already, right? And and you're still young. <laughs> but what is one piece of advice that you would give your younger self? Oh, uh, the piece of advice I'd give my younger self, you should have bought a shit ton of pudgies at 40. <laughs> <laughs> I was, yeah, man. I bought like a couple of pudgies back around like 40s and I managed to sell, sell a couple of them off uh, last night for 11 uh, which was nice. a pretty decent exit, right? Considering the price of ETH back when I bought it was maybe like a thousand five hundred. Is obviously appreciated like eight hundred dollars since then, and obviously mm-hmm. you know sold it for more ETH, right? Uh, so that was a great play in in retrospect. Uh, but me being me, I don't have the best track record when it comes to uh, NFTs. Uh, I haven't really been that, all that successful, and honestly, I'm not. I'm more in the DeFi space as opposed to NFTs. So I just didn't want to overexpose myself on something that I wasn't you know, super knowledgeable on, let's say. Uh, but in, my, in hindsight, I wish I bought more pudgies. But in terms of like genuinely good advice <laughs> I would give myself, um, I would say, I would, I would say to, to myself to be a little bit more conservative and to have made this move to Asia a little bit sooner because really, you know, ma- making this move makes a huge difference, right? Like, as I said, I, you know, personally lived in the UK. I was raised in the UK. I lived in London. I studied in London. I studied at Imperial College, actually, Imperial College London. Um, and you know, the cost of living there is quite high, right? Like when we talk about rent, it's maybe about thousand two hundred pounds in dollars. Would be maybe about thousand four hundred, thousand five hundred, give or take. Um, and then if you add on like travel costs, if you add on food, entertainment, we're looking at maybe another. You know, 800 to 1,000, you know, conservatively, let's say, right? You can obviously you know, be a more conservative, but that's a ballpark, right? So you're spending maybe around about 2,500, or I was maybe spending about 2,500 on a month-to-month basis. And, you know, that is being conservative. Um, over here in Asia, where, you know, I've been living and flat and like just kind of moving around different places, my general monthly expense has probably been cut down from 2,500 uh, pounds closer to $3,000, right? All the way down to maybe about 1,500, right? So mm-hmm. I basically decreased my cost of living by about 50%, but in exchange, I've obviously, number one, got an extra 1,500 to invest into crypto and assuming in an average bull market, you know, you can 10X your portfolio conservatively. That's, you know, if every $1 you save, you're, you know, really kind of gaining or saving um, $10, right? So if you can save 1,500 every month, that could easily be 15,000 in the future, right? Over a year, that becomes, you know, well over $150,000, right? So, um, and that's, you know, a conservative figure. And on top of that, you know, with the $1,500 in Asia, you know, the value for money that you get in a place like this is really tremendously higher. 
Like you can live like a king, you know, you can have your own private residency, you can have, you know, it, like it's a secured premise with like, you know, guards that, you know, look after the place 24 uh, seven, usually covers electricity, gas, heating, every, well, you don't need heating actually, because it's fucking hot it's here. So hot, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's so hot, man. Yeah, you don't need, you need AC, right? But, um, but yeah, you can have all of that. You can have a swimming pool, you can have daily cleaning. So you don't need to think about, you know, cleaning your house and i believe that you know a cluttered space is a cluttered mind right so i like to personally have you know, things organized i don't want you know things everywhere and you know once you're traveling it can be like that right like even if you're not a messy person it can be like that so having that cleaning is always helpful um eating out very inexpensive you know maybe like if you eat at a fancy restaurant here you might be looking at 10 15 dollars right like a decent restaurant over in the UK, you're probably paying maybe like 45, 50, maybe even 100 for one person. So the point is, is that, you know, money really goes a long way, a much, a much further here. Um, you know, if you're thinking that this is like some highly undeveloped third world country you're visiting, you couldn't be more wrong. Like, you know, the, the I mean, you know, the infrastructure here is great. Um, you know, healthcare, everything is great, very, very safe, uh, very low levels of crime, at least in the countries that I've been to, um, very friendly people, very minimal language barrier, like you can really get around just by using very basic English, bit of Google Translate maybe here and there. Um, but yeah, like what you're used to in the West, you can pretty much get here in, in Asia at a much cheaper cost and every dollar just stretches so much further and every dollar saved can be $10 in a bull market. So, you know, if I told myself something is make that move sooner, man, make that move sooner. Nice. Nice. Right. Then, I mean, we're going to wrap up with the last two questions here, right? If the first one being, what is your greatest takeaway from crypto? My greatest takeaway from crypto. Mm. My greatest takeaway from crypto. I guess the great, okay, yeah, the greatest uh, takeaway from crypto is really sort of having, having like custody over your funds. Uh, I know it sounds very cliche and everything where people say, oh yeah, you know, you have sovereignty over your wealth, blah, 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 blah. But until, you know, you live in a place or a country where you go to your bank account and you try and take out, you know, what I don't like, not that much money, right? Let's say you're trying to withdraw, I don't know, two, three, four, five thousand pounds in cash right i mean it's definitely a sizable amount right it's a respectable amount but you know we're not talking about millions here okay we're talking about you know something that you would spend over a month like in some countries right in the uk for example they would make they can make that quite difficult for you right they'll be asking you a lot of questions they'll be you know asking for proof of you know the, the proof of wealth or like the source of income all of these different things you know, and, you know, I understand why that's valuable, right? Because, you know, obviously that money was made through you know, money laundering or you know, drugs or whatever it is. You know, obviously it's not a great thing for the economy as a whole, right? Um, but, you know, a lot of it, you know, is just really normal people wanting to take money out for day-to-day -day services, right? And that is a right, in my opinion, right? It's a right, it's not a privilege. Um, it's something that everyone should have access to. And, you know, the fact that, you know, with crypto, you know, you really can, you know, pay with a lot of, you know, day-to-day -day goods and services very easy nowadays. So here's a bit of alpha for people that don't know about this, but there's a website called uh, BitRefill, so that's B-I-T, uh, Refill, R-E-F-I-L-L. And basically you can get access to like, you know, uh, Airbnb vouchers, uh, Grab, Uber, um, Skyscanner, like, you know, Twitch, like loads of different things, right? Even like, um, 
like uh, uh, energy providers. Like you can pay your bills via crypto by uh, using this sort of third-party platform. You can pay your phone bills. You can pay for Netflix. You can pay for Uber, Uber, Grab, uh, like food, transportation, lights, accommodation. You can pay for a lot of things on crypto now, right? Just you know by holding it in your wallet and then you know using it when you see fit. And you know when the when you make these sort of transactions, no one is ever going to ask you and be like, oh, you know, why are you buying this, right? It's, you know, it's it's a ridiculous question in my opinion. It's a right. It's not a privilege. Rebuilding a new financial ecosystem, one that is a little bit more fair and you know overall better for the people as a whole, because a lot of you know what underpin like a lot of what underpins the global economy nowadays is obviously run by you know central banks and central bankers, and they still adopt the old philosophy based around Keynesian economics. Which is really fucking outdated, in my opinion, right? And you know, it, it, uh, yeah, I mean, if you believe the thesis that all spending is good spending, even if you spend, you know, ten million dollars on, you know, funding firearms for some war, I mean, you know, you, 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 it requires some education. You should definitely go back to school, right? Because that's <laughs> definitely not a good thing. Yet that is the philosophy and you know, economic theory that underpins a lot of what we, you know, like operate in today, right, on a day-to-day basis. So I think crypto, yes, it's a movement. Yes, it's a little bit niche. Yes, it can be seen as a bit, you know, kind of outlandish, a bit, you know, you know, different, let's say, right? Uh, but, you know, overall, if this is the direction that the world moves towards, I personally think it's for the better and not for the worse. Um, I think, you know, people having more control over their, over their wealth is genuinely a good thing, right? Um, so yeah. Nice. All right then. To wrap up with the last question, right? As usual, could you give me three names um for guest nominations to come on my pod in the future? Yeah, absolutely. So first recommendation I would like to recommend would be right side, i.e. Paolo from Pendle, my good friend. Uh, yeah, uh, I would love to hear Pal. Um, you know, he's very, very smart, very, very knowledgeable. Uh, you know, we chatted a lot at you know Token Twenty Forty Nine Singapore as well as the Bangkok conference recently, and I'm probably gonna meet be, meet, be meeting him in Taipei in a couple of days as well. So that's cool. Uh, but yeah, he's really smart, really knowledgeable, really down to earth. Um, and I think he'll be a fantastic guest for your podcast. Uh, I think he would have a lot of value to share with your audience. Um, second nomination would be. Would be Dumbbird from uh, Mux Protocol. Uh, reason why is because you know he he's the product kind of manager there, but he also wears a lot of different hats. As in the case of any sort of startup, uh, his background doesn't reside in you know Web three, so he's not like native Web three. Uh, he's more you know like web. He came from a Web two SaaS background, I believe. Um, so you know for him, like Web three has been a bit of a learning curve. Uh, but you know he's you know picked up you know he's managed to kind of apply a lot of what he's uh, from what he's learned from his you know previous experience and you know added a lot of value to the Mux team and mm-hmm. you know through working together with him and you know alongside his team you know we put Mux as the sort of third largest perfect in terms of trading volume um, and as of today they are top uh, twenty in ranking when it comes to like twenty uh, four hour fee like fee generation generation basically on all on-chain protocols which i think is a huge accomplishment 
uh, is something that's definitely not easy. Um, it's definitely something that requires a lot of strategy, especially when you're in a space as like like a perp space, right? The perp deck space, uh, which is you know very very fierce, uh, very very competitive, and you know he's definitely got some innovative uh, strategies when it comes to you know marketing approaches, when it comes to positioning the brand, uh, which helped establish uh, themselves as to where they are today. So I think he would be another fantastic candidate. Um, a third candidate would be Mai or Michael from uh, Curvance. So uh, yeah, obviously you asked me to speak a little bit about Curvance, um, and, and, and I get and I give him my best. Probably wasn't um, the, the 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 best explanation that could definitely be made, but you know, <laughs> hearing from the founders themselves uh, mm -hmm. would definitely make a bigger difference. And more importantly, you know, like hearing about their journey because you know this protocol is not like you know, 99% of the protocols that have been released recently in the sense that they are not a fork of anything. Uh, they've been building up their code base over the last two years. Uh, they've been, you know, trying to secure the cap table and their seed round over the last six months. They didn't just, you know, accept one big check size from a VC. They could have, but they chose to go through, you know, sort of the angel investor, strategic investor route, um, you know, working, you know, with the Polygon Foundation uh, founders. Um, you know, the people from Arbitrum, from Upchain Labs, right? They really, you know, put a lot of thought into the protocol from everything from the development of the code base, from, you know, who they choose to audit with and why, how much they choose to spend on marketing at which point and why. Um, and, you know, and, and even, you know, from the rate, from the efforts when it comes to raising, right? They're very, very selective who they took money from, right? Because they don't need money, you know, they can find money in many places, but they were very selective of who they, you know, raised from. And there's a lot of these different things that speaks to me as an individual is what gives me a lot of conviction in their team. And I believe that if they were um, to come on and share their story, share their, you know, worldview, um, and a bit of their, you know, philosophy when it comes to building a web three business uh, that, you know, might inspire some of your audience to, you know, maybe try and do the same, right? Or maybe it might discourage some because some people might think it's an easy cash grab when, you know, there is really a lot that comes uh, with every protocol, right? Um, and it's not as easy as, you know, how people see it as a speculator. There's a lot, there's a lot of things that go in, the, in, the, in behind every, behind the operations, behind the scenes. Um, so I think hearing from one of these guys would definitely add a lot of value to your audience as well. All right, and there we have it, the three nominations from Jiraya. Um, thank you so much for taking the time to come on and, of course, share with us your journey and, of course, your your insights as well. Before we go off, is there anything else that you want to talk about that we might not have mentioned yet? No, I think we pretty much covered everything. All I want to say is that, you know, you've been a fantastic host. Um, you know, I wish you got to speak a little bit more. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> you know, I spent a lot of the time talking. Um, but yeah, no, I really enjoyed, you know, myself, um, you know, coming on, sharing my thoughts, my opinions, obviously, you know, none of, you know, what I say is financial advice, but, you know, everything that comes out of my mouth and comes out of my page as well, in my opinion, is like super authentic. I believe that, you know, what I say is genuinely good. Like I'm not here to just pump my bags. And I mean, I highly doubt that, you know, you guys are going to be able to pump a you know, <laughs> frigging $2 billion project anyway. But, you know, the point is, is that 
you know, me, Moose, and, you know, all the other people that have come onto this podcast, I believe, you know, all of these people are very, very authentic people. I believe Moose is highly selective of who he associates with himself with and who he brings onto these uh, conversations. So, you know, don't take, you know, these interviews and, you know, what comes out, you know, from these different people, you know, as a grain of salt, but really, you know, dig into it, right? Dig into the projects that they talk about, dig into their philosophy. And, you know, that's how I personally operate as well. Like, I go around the world, I meet a lot of different people every single day, right? At events, at conferences, and hostels, and hotels, on the street, at events, right? When I'm going out snorkeling, right? And, you know, <laughs> these people may have nothing, you know, absolutely nothing to do with Web3. They might have known nothing about business, but every single person in the world has something that is valuable to you, whether it's, you know, a life lesson, a philosophy or whatever it is. So, you know, really treasure that. All right. And there we have it. The great closing speech by Jiraya. <laughs> Thanks again, Jiraya, for, for taking the time, right? Um, really appreciate you sharing all this with us. And thank you for the kind words, right? So... Be sure to check Jiraiya out, right? I'll be linking down his Twitter down in the description down below. And thank you for tuning in to this episode. We will see you in the next episode. Thanks, guys. Take care. That brings us to the end of this episode. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Before you go, do remember to give us a thumbs up and hit the subscribe button so you never miss a thing. Comment down below what you liked about this episode, who you'd like me to interview next, or any topics that you want to learn more about. Until next time, this is Moose moving out.